some of you might have already heard or seen in the newsletter that there was a mask ordinance passed in Denton uh, this past week. And so here at the Arts Council, it is a city-owned building. So I'm just going to read you the update that they sent us. Due to the city's mask ordinance passed on 8-12, all visitors over the age of two and staff are required to wear a mask inside the buildings. The Art Center is a city-owned building, so masks are not required under this ordinance. So that's just the update that we have from the GDAC about masks. Most of us were still wearing them, but that's just so you guys know all the info as well. Uh, small groups, our adult small groups are ending this week. So this is the last week for small groups of the summer. And then we'll have about a two-week break. And then our small groups for the fall will start all fresh, all new on uh, the week of September 6th. If you ha are one of the adults that has not yet signed up just to let us know that you want to be in a small group, please do that. Most of us have, but there might be a couple of you who have missed that. So it's dentonnorthchurch.com slash smallgroups. That will take you directly to that sign-up, dentonnorthchurch.com slash smallgroups. The next thing is we are starting to do brown bag hangouts again. The InReach team is getting that going. Yeah. So if you don't know what that is, it is just a randomly paired same gender hangout. And so you just go sign up. You get paired with somebody you don't know that well or maybe someone you know a little bit. But you get a chance to hang out. You can grab coffee, grab lunch, do a Zoom call, whatever you would like to do. And you get to know that person a little bit better. So it's a cool way to get to know people in our community better. And it just can be kind of random. So definitely sign up for that. It's very, very cool. Um, and then the next thing is the women's hangout, which is today after church. The person for any info, if you need it, is Andrea right there. And she's going to send some information, one, like about where to park and stuff in the women's group me. If you aren't on that group me, you can talk to Andrea. But the details should be behind me here. It's after church at 1230, BYO lunch, hang at the pool. So super sweet. It's going to be Epic Apartments, which is 3200 South Interstate 35. And yep, again, it's hosted by Andrea. So please come. That'll be awesome. Soak up that sun a little bit. Next week after church, there is a men's hangout. And that'll be at the ranch, 3806 Hampton Road. And it's from 12 to 2, or however soon you can get there. And I've been told that Brad is cooking. Is that right, Brad? Where's Brad at? Okay, no confirmation. So we'll see. Maybe bring a sandwich just in case. And there's going to be Mario Kart tournament, board games, and some other stuff. So it seems kind of like a no-brainer to go to that, obviously. Um, but go easy on my Mario Kart. I'm pretty rusty, okay? So please, be chill. Then the other thing is that we have the Denton North Church Retreat, the first ever, first ever Denton North Church Retreat. That is October 23rd and 24th. Some of you guys have heard this announced multiple times, but some of y'all are new or you're fresh back from the summer or whatever. So jot that down, mark off that weekend in your calendars. And that's pretty much it. So I'm going to, uh, we also have our uh, offering basket, but we do that digitally now. So it's just an offering basket. So if you uh, have not done that in a while, it is dentnorthchurch.com slash donate. You can give a one-time gift or you can set up a recurring gift. I'm going to say a short prayer for our, our service today. Lord, thank you so much for the, the excitement of the school year starting back and getting people that we've missed uh, back from their uh, being away in the summer, and also the new faces that you'll bring. Lord, I just ask you to bless this year. Help us to be motivated just to go into this year full of energy. Lord, we just, we just pray for our, our uh, focused staff and students, and Lord, we just ask that you would move mightily on the campuses this, this year, and uh, just protect them as they go. Lord, thank you for this chance to get together and worship and hear your word. Lord, we just, uh, we, we just love you. Thank you for loving us and for... Um, for just allowing us to be part of what you're doing. Hear my pray. Amen.
Well, good morning. My name is Brad. I'm one of the ministers here. I'm going to do that a couple of weeks, introduce myself since we have some new faces and will for the next couple of weeks. Um, okay, great. My cup, it says uh, crazy cat lady. Yeah. I'm not going to tell the story behind it, so I'm going to try not to break this one like I did last week. So Chelsea thinks everybody knows the answer to this question already, but I don't. Who would win, a tiger or a lion? What did you say? You literally said everybody knows the answer to this already. So it's tricky, right? Because um, technically speaking, yes, one-on-one battle, tiger and lion, tiger's going to win. In fact, there's been multiple times, apparently, that this has happened, unfortunately. Um, one of the most recent, um, I think like three or 400 years ago, but back in the gladiator events, there were tigers versus lions, yeah. Uh, and they would always win. They're bigger, they're more aggressive, they go through the throat. But in the wild and this has not really actually happened, but it's pretty clear that lions would win, right? Their pride. There's like seven or ten of them, two males, five to seven females, the babies. The pride's going to win over any one tiger, no matter how big he may be. Yeah? Sure? Uh, And of course, you know, we can make an analogy of strength in numbers or whatever else, but it's not even really a strength in numbers thing, to be honest. It's sort of a strength in mission or purpose, because if those lions all just did what, what was in their best interest, they might run away if a tiger came, but because they share a mission or a purpose as a part of the pride and pack, uh, they're going to prevail. And so their strength comes not just, uh, from their numbers, but the fact that their numbers are sort of purposed to do something. And so we're in the middle of this mission and vision um, kind of time we take every semester to remind us of who we are uh, as a church community, who we are as a larger capital C uh, church. And last uh, week we talked a little bit about that uh, from James. All right? So, mission, and this has been defined a million different ways, right? I, I, sent, I uh, mentioned last week that I think mission comes down to sort of what our purpose is, and I challenge you to think through if your mission, your purposes day in, day out, are really the mission that Christ has given us, which is to make and mature disciples to the glory of God. Now, why does he want to do that? Is Jesus like a part of a pyramid scheme, and he wants us to just sort of get more and more Christians so that, you know... Um, for whatever reason, you know, we can ultimately get some amazing reward at the end. No, the point of making and maturing disciples is it is intrinsically linked to his plan to fix the broken world that we live in, right? To make and mature disciples isn't to gather around a bunch of people who are like-minded so they can have really great pool parties Uh, and eat really good food and all believe the same stuff. It is to fix the broken world that we live in, all right? And that's our mission. That really is. That's our mission. And we've got to constantly be thinking about, is our mission, okay, something that we live out in our life, uh, or do we get kind of distracted? So back to this tiger and lion example, Uh, many of us live more like a tiger lives, alone, by ourselves, not a part of a pack, 
and we do that day in, day out. Or if we do live a part of a pack, it's not really like a close-knit family. It's more like a bunch of mercenaries that sort of just sort of gather together and kind of do some stuff. And what's even worse, probably, if you take this analogy further, is most of us live out of a cage. We don't even live in reality. We live our, our reality out of a cage. A cage that we talked about last time is defined by a reality that we perceive, not the actual reality around us. Okay? And so we live sort of in this cage. We don't actually live in the wild. And we live as tigers feeling pretty safe and secure in this cage so long as we're stuck in the cage. But if we were ever released into the wild, we would be eaten by a pride of lions. I don't think they'll actually eat it. I think they'll just kill it. But I don't really know what lions do. I'm talking beyond my game here. God wants us to live in the wild, okay? Uh, But many of us... uh, Yeah, it's easier to just sort of live on our our own alone. Uh, Why is this? Well, I mean, we've been given this sort of idea or dream, I think, as Americans, that what we do and our strength will always come from our uh, ability to make something of our lives on our own, okay? We all sort of know that. We kind of recognize it. Um, But I think there's this other thing that's kind of creeping into some of our conversations, and that's this sort of cynicism of the church, in our um, cohort, we've done the, the sort of history of the church this month, and many of us are pretty cynical of the church. And it makes it really hard for us to feel like we share a mission with the church uh, when we're pretty cynical of it. And some of us are more cynical than even God himself is about Israel, okay? You think back through what God says over and over again, and we're going to read something from Jeremiah Uh, at the end of this, we're more cynical about the church than God is about Israel. God, to be clear, constantly chides Israel and punishes them for their disobedience, most of which has to do with issues of justice. But he never becomes so cynical about them that he just sort of tosses them out as beyond hope or uh, beyond repair. He just doesn't do it. And yet many of us think about the church a little bit like that. Uh, we've, we've sort of just decided it's beyond repair. I mentioned last week that you've got to be very careful because the scripture calls the church the bride of Christ. And I don't know about you, but it's probably not the best idea to make fun of the bride if you want to not get punched in the face, maybe. Uh, we've got to be careful. And so this cynical view has made it really hard for us to feel like we share a mission with the the larger church, even with each other. We talked last week about how hard it is sometimes to even do the mission here in church, much less, uh, you know, kind of think about that outside. And so one of the reasons that we are um, doing the sermon series that we're going to start next week, which is fun, friendships, unity, and the nuance of relationships. Yeah, cool, right? I know. Is because we need to get back to the basics of what our mission is in this world, which is to love God and love other people. I read a book, um, well, it was part last week or whatever, and uh, it's about uh, spiritual conversations, practical art of spiritual conversations, and he, he really makes it, uh, kind of breaks down sort of our mission in this world, our purpose in this world being uh, you know, loving God, loving others. There's an inward component to that and an outward component to it. The inward component of loving God is obviously spending time with him, um, learning more about him, the outward displaying 
his goodness in the world by living in accordance with what we believe. The same thing for the, um, excuse me, the, uh, the loving others. You know, inwardly, we do that with each other. Outwardly, we're on mission in the community around us. And I thought that was such a simple way of putting that and also made me think how little I do that last part, the mission part. I mean, how hard it is for me even to do it here in terms of loving the people that God has given me and around me, much less fulfilling his mission in the world. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to launch into that sermon series um, yeah, uh, starting next week, and I'm going to send out a survey either this week or next week that kind of polls, you know, gets a, a glimpse of where we're all at in that, in terms of our friendships and relationships. Uh, plus, when we do sermon series around here, we want your feedback and input, and so hopefully you will take time to, t- to fill out that survey and tell us what are some topics relating to relationships uh, and friendships that you want us to talk about, okay? And I think that'll be really ex- exciting. So anyway, I just have a few thoughts here because I thought the worship was going really long today, um, but it turns out it w- really wasn't that long. So um, yeah, we'll get out of here somewhat early. So last week, we talked about uh, maturity. And just to give you a real quick recap, um, I, one of the, the ways I would probably phrase this is we've got to let our lives catch up to the words that we speak, all right? That's maturity, is letting our lives Catch up to the words that we speak. Christians were known for talking a lot about things, believing a lot of things, but do we really act in accordance with those very things? That's maturity. Getting to a place where we are, uh, we are, what we say aligns with what we do. That is maturity. We talked about wisdom and the wisdom literature and all those things. And James, the book of James, is talking about letting every trial and temptation be an opportunity for maturity. And so we don't look at things that go wrong. We don't look at uh, tough times as simply tough and something we want to rush through and get over. We look at them as opportunities to mature in our faith. Because through that perseverance and maturity, we have peace with the world around us and peace with God. And peace feels really good. Most of us have a really tough time, particularly right now, feeling any kind of peace in our lives. That pandemic, what's going on in Afghanistan, climate change, whatever your deal is, or all of it together, we have a really tough time just feeling peace, at peace with God and at peace with the world around us. Maturity does that, and as crazy as it sounds, the vehicle that God uses to mature us is putting us in situations where peace is like the last thing that we think about. It's just the last thing. It's not something that comes natural. We look for peace in all of the areas that uh, seem to be the easiest to find peace. Vacation, watching a movie, zoning out, drugs and alcohol, whatever it is, making money, feeling like we have a lot of it, uh, feeling comfortable. But God says, no, we we find this peace uh, through these trials that he takes us through. So has your life caught up? Okay, life caught up to the words we speak. Guys, has our lives caught up to our mission in Christ? Do we really believe, share a belief, okay, that God is making and maturing disciples all around us? Or have we limited him to a few areas that seems like maybe that God wants to work in those areas? Does God really run the world that we're in? Is he really changing it putting the pieces back together or not? That is the essential question of mission. 
And if you believe that he's doing that, good for you. The next step is to let your life catch up to that mission. To start acting as if you're actually on mission with God. Okay? And that part is the hard part. It's one thing to believe it. It's another to really live out his mission and calling in our lives. So that's the mission part of things. In some ways, that's pretty difficult, uh, and we've got to wrap our minds around it. Uh, We talked a little bit last time about how our individual purposes can get in the way of God's larger purpose, but God's larger purpose informs our purposes. But I don't really want to talk about mission, because that was last week. I want to talk a little bit about vision. And remember, I'm I'm not huge into these terms, okay? Mission, vision, it sounds more like a corporate board meeting or something really super boring. So we can use different words, right? Like last week, instead of using the word desire, we used the word impulse. Whatever, use your own words here. Mission, purpose, vision in my mind is about pursuit. It's about every day, what am I pursuing? Sort of vision is where the rubber meets the road. What do I see ahead of me as the, the thing that I'm going after. It's the pursuit. That's the vision. Um, this book that I was reading about the, the, I think it's called The Art of Spiritual Conversations, was talking about most people, until they hear the music of Christianity or hear the music of the gospel, they're not really interested in it being defined for them. I thought that was kind of interesting. That's, to me, vision is the music of what it is that we should be doing. It's the thing that drives us. I've used this quote so many times because I think it's so good and I've butchered it so many times you'd think I'd memorize it. I haven't. It's this thing that used to be up on Ryan's wall about, you know, um, <laughs> I'm messing up again. If you want people to build a ship, you don't like teach them how to build a, a ship, you teach them how to love the sea. All right. It's pretty dang good, right? That's gotta be. It's probably a way better quote than that. But only probably, because I did a pretty good job, I think, of saying it. You give them the vision. And many of us want to start, I think, with, uh, you know, willing ourselves, giving us ourselves a duty. This is the mission. This is what we've got to do. But the vision is what ultimately carries us day in, day out with doing the mission of God. It's how we perceive, see the reality of the world around us and expect for God Uh, to do something amazing and miraculous, Uh, and that's our vision. For most of us, our vision um, is nothing more than just a projection of our impulses that we talked about last time in James. We want this, we want that, so we see it happening, and that's what we work for. I want to be more secure so that I don't have to, you know, have trouble paying rent this week. I want to be, you know, appreciated by this person, and so I'm going to do this, do that. And when we live down to those sort of daily visions of what we want our lives to be like, we miss the vision that God's been giving us all along, a vision of him fixing the broken world around us. This next week, uh, Focus is going to be doing Welcome Week, right? Listen, Welcome Week is interesting. For those of you who've never been a part of the chaos that is Welcome Week, Um, Welcome week, and this year might be the craziest year after a hiatus of a whole year, is where a whole bunch of people from our college ministry go and literally welcome college students to the area, okay, and to the school. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that they have a booth and it says welcome and they're sitting there on their phones. Uh, It literally means that they're going to go out and meet 
more people than I feel comfortable meeting in my entire lifetime <laughs> this next week. And they're going to have the same conversation one million times. What's your major? Where are you from? Over and over and over and over again. Okay? And it's a week that after two weeks, you're just like, oh my gosh, I need a vacation, even though you just had the summer to prepare for. It's a tough couple weeks, right? It really is. It's a tough couple weeks. But in some ways, it's one of those weeks that many of us can look back on, and of course, you know, hindsight 2020, and think, man, I was really on mission during those weeks. The vision that I had was clear. I want to make people feel comfortable in this city to be their first impression of who God is and, uh, and how much he cares about, about them. Whether that means they're gonna show up, whether it means at, you know, at any kind of main meeting, whether it means they're just going to, to find someone. I met someone at CVS the other day. Uh, that's probably like two weeks ago, I had a Focus shirt on. And uh, he goes, oh yeah, yeah, I, I know about Focus. And this guy's graduated, like, he's been like four years out of school. And I was like, oh, okay, were you a part of the group? He's like, no, I just, like, I made, like, a, like a lot of friends that first week and played a lot of games. <laughs> and that's his memory of focus, which is great. Um, you know, I mean, you guys obviously failed because you didn't dunk him. <laughs> you didn't baptize him, but, you know, next best thing. Let's make him feel okay. Uh, no, seriously, that's great. That, that two weeks, right, is this amazing experience of really feeling uh, uh, you know, that mission and vision and really living it out. But guys, that first two weeks doesn't have to be the end of our mission and vision. We need to join together with those college students this, this next couple weeks and really thinking through what does it mean for us to still be on mission in our workplace and at the grocery store and around wherever we are. And that's not gonna just happen through us forcing our ways into it. We've got to think through what is our vision for that? Is our vision that our workplace becomes a healthier place for conversation, more productive place, that the, the places that I visit, people actually care about each other, know about each other, I know what's going on. What is that? The nice thing about vision is it's a exercise, a practice in seeing something that either doesn't exist or that you haven't seen before. You're envisioning it coming to grips with that reality that is possible through God. And by seeing that vision, we can live out that mission. But we need to join with those students this, this, these next couple weeks to at least take something out of their book, a, a play out of their playbook, whatever. Sports ball example, yes, check. <laughs> Masculine man, yes. Um, and really be on vision, uh, mission and vision. And for those of you who are college students this next uh, couple weeks, it's a hard couple weeks, but lean into it. Uh, and, and don't exhaust yourself in all the wrong ways, right? Um, know why it is that you're doing what you're doing. This isn't about making a name for yourself, and it isn't about trying to impress everybody or, you know, check off a list of things that God wants you to do before you die. Um, it's an opportunity to welcome people, to be the first face that they see, to make sure that they know uh, someone who really loves God. And they have that opportunity. Okay? So, are we willing to see that? Are we willing to see uh, the vision of what God can do in and around us? Because that's going to drive our mission. But it all starts with, with sort of asking the question of, is God at work? 
uh, or not? Is he working? And some of us just need to kind of go back to that and believe it. I want to read Jeremiah. It's kind of a tough passage. Um, and it seems sort of out of place. But I think it's fitting in the sense of basically giving people a vision of what God is about to do. And now they're about to be exiled in Babylon for a long time. The temple's going to be destroyed. This is one of the worst moments in Israel's history. Okay? Uh, and this is all as a punishment for the way that they've treated each other and the way that they've failed the nations around them to really give God glory. But there's still a sense of uh, who God is and what he's going to do in their context. So Jeremiah 23, and we're going to read uh, 1 through 32. <coughs> Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done. You see, we get a glimpse here of what God is so angry about. The people who are supposed to be taking care of his children are not. They don't care. Okay? I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend to them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming. And I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. Talking about Jesus, who are at least alluding to it. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. So then the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt, but they will say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of the countries where he banished them, then they will live in their own land. You see the significance here is God is saying it's not going to be a God that did something long ago. It's a God that is doing something now that I can connect to. He's done this in my area, my nation, my city, whatever it is. But we've got this problem Concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me. All my bones tremble. I'm like a drunken man, like a strong man overcome by wine. Because of the Lord and his holy word, the land is full of adulterers. Because of the curse, the land lies parched, and the pastures in the wilderness are withered. The prophets follow an evil course and use their power unjustly. But prophet and priest are godless. Even in my temple, I find their wickedness, declares the Lord. Therefore, their path will become slippery. They will be banished to darkness where they will fall. I will bring disaster on them in the year they are punished, declares the Lord. Among the prophets of Samaria, I saw this repulsive thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. And among the prophets of Jerusalem, I've seen something horrible. They commit adultery and live a lie. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that not one of them turns away from their wickedness. They're like Sodom to me. The people of Jerusalem are like Gomorrah. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty concerning the prophets. I will make them eat bitter food and drink poison water. Because from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has spread throughout the land. 
This is what the Lord says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own mind, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says you will have peace. And to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, no harm will come to you. But which of them has stood in counsel of the Lord to see or hear his word? Who has listened and heard his word? See, the storm of the Lord will burst out in wrath, a whirlwind swirling down over the heads of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he fully accomplishes the purposes of his hearts. In days to come, you will understand it clearly. I didn't send these prophets. They have run with their own message. I did not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people and would have turned them from their evil ways and their evil deeds. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them? Do not I feel fill the heaven and earth? I have heard what the prophets say who prophesy lies in my name. They say, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long will this continue in the hearts of these lying prophets who prophesy the delusions of their own minds? They think the dreams they tell one another will make my people forget my name just as their ancestors forgot through bow worship. Let the prophet who has a dream recount the dream, but the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what has straw to do with grain is not my word like fire and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. Therefore, I am against the prophets who steal from one another words supposedly from me. Yes, declares the Lord, I am against the prophets who wag their own tongues and yet declare the Lord declares. I'm against those who prophesy false dreams. They tell my people, tell them and lead my people astray with their reckless lies. Yet I didn't send or appoint them. They do not benefit these people in the least, declares the Lord. And then Jeremiah 29. Let's start in uh, verse four. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Don't listen to their dreams that they encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity. The good section of verses to chew on there um, and think through. God is ultimately giving his people a message, a clear message, that if your visions are visions you've gotten from other people or out of your own mind, you will fail to do the things that I've called you to do, to take care of my people. The result of dreaming our own dreams and having our own visions always ends up the same, not taking care of God's people. 
we fail to do it. We get so distracted by what all the other things that we have to do, and we don't do it. So let us hear the voice of God in that uh, and repent from um, just being pretty callous and indifferent to the mission of God uh, in and around our lives. And for those of us um, who don't need to hear that, then let us just continue to lead our church forward uh, in, uh, in really fulfilling his mission. I'm going to say a prayer, and then, um, well, actually, I might as well take questions before we do communion. This was all over the place today, a little bit because it was supposed to be a few thoughts, and then I felt like I needed to expand it, because, I mean, we're getting out of here at 1045, and it just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem spiritual enough. Any questions about this? Yeah, right there. So if you look at the passage itself, I mean, I, I would try to sum up that question, but I'm just going to make a note that Justin basically summarized my sermon from this week and last week. <laughs> so if you want to know what the question was, it was basically like, just what does the, ser- the sermons mean? How do we know? Um, yeah, I mean, so I think when you look at at least the passage in Jeremiah, um, you know, the result, again, of them not pursuing God and pursuing their own visions and dreams, it was pretty easy what happened. People stopped being taken care of, right? They began to be exploited. Uh, the very people of God uh, were doing the things that uh, you know, he made clear you don't do, okay? And the things that he focuses on are issues of, of both justice, um, you know, integrity and character. Uh, so I think that sometimes, you know, when we... Um, kind of step back and look, and, you know, I, I think spirituality in adulthood is a little bit tricky because, you know, when you're younger, it seem, seem, things seem, well, to be on a trajectory upward, you know, and when you're an adult, there seems to be these times of deep, um, you could call it indifference, backsliding, and it's kind of back and forth. It's the Psalms uh, that David talks about, sometimes feeling close to God, sometimes not. But I think that, uh, you know, the litmus test for uh, at least in my mind, for vision and mission is, you know, really how do we think about and treat people? There's no better, um, I don't know, um, test of that. Uh, you know, I think we can talk about it too in terms of, you know, how much do we love God, but, you know, God is concerned with how we treat other people. And uh, I, that, that's what I would say. I, I, your question um, is basically sum up all that, but you just have to go back and listen to it and try to make sense of it. Catherine, you had a question? No, not anymore. You don't want to be made fun of in front of the group? No, I don't mind that. Oh, you don't mind that. Okay, good. Well, well, I see the end of it. Oh, good. Oh, okay. How do we make sure that we're not being a false prophet? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, she said, how do you know not being a false prophet? Um, Probably if you're asking the question, that's probably step one. Um, No, no, I meant that in a good way. Like, if you're asking am I, then that's a good sign, not a bad sign. <laughs> I don't think most false prophets ask themselves whether they're false prophets. <laughs> but I think God is, is basically saying, you know, you're speaking my words to people um, and, and not the words that you've gotten from each other. Um, so that's a big one. They're constantly just trading words and visions that they got from each other and not ones that really came from God speaking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, you could use a lot of language here, cynical maybe versus critical. 
Um, guys, I mean, you know, when you look at what, what God is doing here, uh, he has hope and he's not given up on him, but he is certainly critical of the people of Israel. <laughs> he's punishing them. He's literally telling them that they're all doing the stuff and specifically stuff that they ought not be doing. Um, so I think the line that we cross when we become cynical of the church is when we really, number one, cease to, um, you know, uh, connect to it in any meaningful way. We've decided that we're beyond it, we're outside of it. And, and two, when we've decided that it's, it's gone, it's lost, it has no ability to be repaired or broken. And most of us, when we get to that point, it's probably about the time we leave anyway. Um, but yeah, we should, off, we should absolutely be critics of the church. You know, Paul tells us to judge ourselves. Uh, repaired, it's broken. Sorry. I forgot a comma. And a word. That's good. Uh, you know, <laughs> semantics. <laughs> so, but I think our struggle, many of us, is really with cynicism. Um, you know, we, we have the ability to point out things that are wrong, but often those things, um, you know, and I, let me say one more thing, and that is that we, have, we feel no obligation or responsibility to be a part of the solution. Because if we've decided that it's beyond repair, we've decided that nothing we can do is gonna, really gonna help. We're just gonna be outside, um, you know, critics, so. But, but you know, that's, that's challenging. Guys, we, we should absolutely think about the church in ways that, uh, meaning, in meaningful ways, point out what's wrong. Uh, that's the example we have from the prophets. And should, we should expect also people to not like that very much. <laughs> uh, but let's be clear and, and speak the words of God that, that he's uh, saying about what's going on and not our own. Yeah? Um, so, I mean, the easiest thing to do, the question was how do we talk to people who are not a part of the church, uh, who are critical or who want to have a conversation about it. You know, the biggest thing is, like anything, it's to own up to, um, you know, things that are real uh, damage that the church has done. You know, probably the two biggest issues uh, of the last hundred years are, obviously, you know, slavery, um, and then, um, you know, a lot of other things related to just oppression of specific people. Um, but then again, that's kind of, you know, history past. Uh, um, that's how it's been, and Christians have been doing that for a long time. So I think that you own up to you know the past without accepting or acknowledging um, things that uh, just didn't happen. I think there's got to be a historical understanding of a lot of that, um, and then just you know to, to clearly not feel like you need to be on the defensive. You know, the Scripture in the Old Testament is chock full of God bringing renewal out of His convicting them of what they've done wrong. So the church should be the most introspective institution um, in terms of letting God speak to us where we've been wrong, what we've done, and not uh, try to be you know, protective uh, of ourselves. So there's a really decent book that was written that if you're really interested in it um, called Bullies and Saints. Uh, it was written pretty recently. And it goes through some of the more challenging kind of history of the church. And he does a pretty fair job of um, yeah, criticizing without being cynical. Yeah. It's called Bullies and Saints. I don't know who the author is. I can't even remember. I can't even, I'm impressed that I remember the title. Um, but that's a good topic and one that we should consider and think through. <laughs> is that a statistic? Yeah, 80% of people don't want to hear the good news until they've heard the music of it. 
The question was, what the heck was that reference about music of the gospel? Um, yeah, you could, you could, I think this has been said in a million different ways before. Uh, it's just simply that people, yeah, I'll, I'll give you at least two more uh, sayings. One, people don't know how much you, or wait. Thank you, thank you. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's one. And then uh, the other one uh, would be uh, that, you know, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words, right? They're kind of like loosely related. The idea that, uh, you know, people have to kind of see the gospel in action uh, often before they're really all that interested in talking about it. And usually that happens through a person. So you guys are the music behind the gospel. Yeah, yeah, people, (laughs) yeah, Christian radio stations, that's, uh, until they listen to that, they'll never understand the good news, okay, if you don't turn into that, you've got nothing, All, all the adults in the adult section over here are really ready for me to shut up, you guys are having fun for the most part, but they're all like looking at me like, okay, we've got things we gotta go do. This Q&A is going too long. All right, I'm going to say a prayer, and then um, <clears throat> we'll take communion. Um, and if you don't have the communion cup, there should be some around you, but uh, I think we ran out, so we might not be able to, to give everybody communion. Uh, I'll just say this. When we think about communion, a lot of times we think about the individual and how much Jesus has saved my sins. Guys, Jesus didn't come here just to save your sins. He came here to save the world we're in, okay? So um, as we take this communion, and and particularly in a week where, again, this just feels really difficult. COVID's back strong. We've got all this stuff happening in the world around us. Uh, Just ask yourselves, do you believe that God is fixing the world that we're in? Do you believe that? If you don't, ask for the faith to believe that. And if you do believe it, are you doing anything about it? And if you're not, ask for the strength to do something about it and the wisdom, okay? Um, And so uh, I'll pray for us to take communion and then, excuse me. Oh, golly. What'd you say, Tyrus? Okay. Um, God, thank you very much for Uh, just bringing us together and uh, putting us uh, in the work that you're doing. Lord, just convict us of um, just our individualistic and petty and selfish uh, views of um, the world, of other people. I just am so callous towards other people most days. And... um, Yeah, just break our hearts, uh, our rock-solid hearts, and give us a heart of flesh to see the world as you see it, to care about people as you care about them, uh, and to move beyond the words and the beliefs to to really living that out, and living out in a joyful way, a way that uh, is directly related to how much you love us and care about us. Um, Help us to do as Jesus did to just do what we see you doing in the world, Lord. We love you and we take this in remembrance of how good you are. Amen. 
Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.